Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 17 tonight, Walk Before Me, is the title of the message. As we continue to look at Abram's journey of faith, and tonight we're going to see him renamed into Abraham. And we'll dig that out a little bit as well. Before we do anything further, though, let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for all the worship that's going on all over this building. Thank you for all the faithful servants in youth group, teachers, those who take care of our kids, those who uh, give of their time in ushering and preparing food and greeting people and being available to answer questions. And there's a great team of individuals. Thank you for Brandon back on the sound booth tonight. And just for all of those who contribute to the ministry. Thank you for the fact that many times today the radio program went out over the radio airwaves. And thank you for new open doors that you are giving to us for radio as well. And we just want to praise you for those opportunities. And now as we turn our hearts to your word, it is always our desire that you would write your word on our hearts, Lord. So just help us to put aside all the, the distractions, the weights, the concerns, even the fears that we face. And let us be ready to receive the uh, word of God implanted, which is not only able to save our souls, but able to feed our souls and to strengthen us. And so tonight we just pray a blessing on those who will be hearing tonight. Bless your word as it goes forth. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Genesis 17 verse one. Now when Abram was 99 years old, he must've been the oldest guy in the room a lot of the time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now you'll notice there's two uh, markers of Abram's age. The end of Genesis 16 says, so Hagar, look at Genesis 16, 15. Hagar bore Abram a son, Genesis 16, 15. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, the incident of uh, the birth of Ishmael uh, through Hagar, which we'll get more of in a later study, was a blip on the screen of faith or a shortcut uh, in the life of faith. And we talked about that last time. And we talked about how sometimes we're tempted to take shortcuts in faith and we've got promises from God. And yet we say, well, maybe I can cut through the grass here. Maybe I can, <laughs> maybe I can, uh, maybe there's, got, there's an easier way. Maybe God didn't really mean it this way. And we find ways to justify not being patient and waiting for God's promises. And this is what happened with Sarai. She became impatient. She was barren. She was struggling. She was wrestling with all that was going on in her life. And finally, she said, go ahead and take Hagar, my maidservant. She was an Egyptian maidservant. This was not God's plan. The promised seed child would not come through the line of Ham. It would not come from an Egyptian lineage. Abram knew this, but he still agreed to the plan. And she became pregnant. And the household was in turmoil. And when we take shortcuts to faith, we get ourselves in trouble. And even though Romans 4, uh, verse 12 says, we're to follow in the steps of the faith of our father, Abraham, we can know that those were not always perfect steps. And just so you guys can kind of breathe a little easier tonight, God already knows you're not perfect. Isn't that good news? He already knows you're flawed. He already knows we struggle sometimes with making the right decisions and, and walking in faith. 
and walking by faith and not by sight. And now 13 years have passed and still the man whose name is exalted father in Hebrew, and some scholars believe even his name Abram means father of many, is the father of none. At least until Ishmael comes along, he's lived some 86 years and he has no children, yet his name means exalted father. Can you imagine, you know, with all these possessions and servants that he had, and he was a well-to-do guy and he was probably well-known that people in caravans would travel and maybe stop at Abram's tent and he would introduce himself, hey, Abram, and people were big into names and they had significant meanings. And what's your name? You know, it means exalted father or father of many. Well, how many sons do you have? None. And that was not only uh, a trial for Sarai, barrenness was a difficult, uh, even a tragedy in Hebrew culture, but it was a trial to Abram's manhood. Let's face it. Part of being a man is that you want to have offspring, and it's a very important thing to have children for most of us, unless we have the gift of singleness, and for fathers, especially to have a son in this culture was huge, because it gave you an heir, and when you had to answer that my name is exalted father, but yet I have no sons, it had to be a very difficult uh, burden on a man that was trying to walk by faith, and tonight you may be in that situation. I meet people uh, in, in the community that have names that are from the Bible, and they've been named in honor of Bible characters, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always living up to their name, and it doesn't necessarily mean that their life is working out maybe the way that they hoped. And so Abram's now 99, and of course Ishmael has come, and Ishmael's now a young teenager, or he's, you know, he's entered the teenage years, he's kind of plowing towards manhood, he's 13, but there's still no son of promise. There's no son that's come from the loins of Abram through Sarai. And so Abram has to be wondering, how long, Lord, do you want me to wait? Uh, I'm 99. (laughs) Can I remind you? I don't know how many times in prayer. He probably reminded God every year. And maybe every birthday. Lord, (laughs) you know how old I am today? Do you know how many candles we tried to put on the falafel? (laughs) we're out of space Lord when is this promise going to be realized some of you may be there you know you're waiting on God for something maybe it would be a spouse maybe it would be someone who you've been praying to come to Jesus Christ and and you wait and and Abram certainly had to wait now 13 years one writer says 13 years of what we might consider trouble brewing in the tent of Abram, a cloud of domestic gloom and growing darkness about the promise had hung over the tents of Abram. And even though when Hagar returned to the tent, we believe that there was probably some reconciliation between the parties and 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 an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness, still there was a, a lingering problem. She had had this child. And her name, you know, uh, Hagar was the Egyptian maidservant, but she called God the God who sees. Remember that? The God who sees me. That was our message last Wednesday. He sees my trouble. He sees my issues. And Ishmael, it means God hears. God hears and God sees. And Abram's got to be thinking, well, if that's the case, Sarai's got to be thinking the same. Does he see my heart? Does he see my struggles? Does he see my difficulties? And now in Genesis 17, 1, for the fourth time, the Lord appears to Abram when he's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am 
El Shaddai. This is, by the way, the first time in the Bible that we see God identify himself as El Shaddai. And that's a name that you've probably heard before. And that's one of the names of God. And the, the name El Shaddai means, it's translated into English as God Almighty. And that's a good way to put it because the Hebrew language here speaks of God's omnipotence and God's sovereignty. He's the God who acts. He's the God with power. And he introduces himself at the beginning of, of Genesis 17 as El Shaddai, the God who has power. The God who is om, omnipotent is the combination of Latin words. We, we sometimes say it omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But Abram should still be asking, and we think he is, if you're the God of all power, then where is this son of promise? One writer says, this name signifies God's omnipotence, sovereignty. It describes a God who makes things happen by means of his majestic power and might. He is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai says to Abram, don't let your soul shrink away in unbelief. Walk before me. And this is a call for every Christian tonight. This is the call from God Almighty to every Christian to walk, Ephesians 4.1, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. God is the one who makes the promises. God is the one who supplies the power, but we are supposed to walk before God. Walk before me, God says. And how is he to walk? Abram is to walk before me, notice, blameless. The word blameless does not mean perfect. The word blameless has the idea of a man or a woman of integrity. In the New Testament, the word is used for the church and is even used for the elder as a man or a woman who has no open charge against them. No one could walk through those back doors and have a charge that would stick against you in terms of you habitually doing something wrong in the culture. Walk before me blameless. And Abram certainly had not done that. He had just made a huge mistake. And God is saying, look, I'm the all-powerful one. Do you get the message? The power does not come from you, Abram. It comes from me. You've been trying to shortcut your faith. You've been trying to do it by the flesh. That's why you've got Ishmael here. That's why you've got this mess with Hagar and your wife and the drama in the tent is because you tried to shortcut it and I am the source of the power. And in a chapter that is all about circumcision, Circumcision is really, one of the images of circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh. It means that it's not going to be done by might. It's not going to be done by power. It will be done through my spirit, says the Lord. This is what Abram needs to learn. And he's walking a journey of faith. And you know what? I'm still trying to learn how to rely upon God. Can I get a witness? You know, in, in our culture, but for that matter, it's just a human dilemma that we all try to do things in our own strength. And then when we're really in an emergency, we take a deep gulp and say, well, maybe this one's too big for me. Okay, God, I'll give you a shot at it. Maybe now I'll gulp, pray. And God stretches us. And Sunday we talked about being in storms and we sometimes wonder, why does God elongate storms? Why does he come at the fourth watch of the night sometimes and let us have the spray going in our face and the struggling at the oars? Why? Because he wants to teach us that he is El Shaddai, that he is the all-powerful, omnipotent God who will take care of things that concern us and he says, walk before me. 
You see, your view of God, brothers and sisters, makes all the difference in your life. How big is your God? Is he big enough to deal with even the things that you've longed for for perhaps a quarter of a century? Are you willing to wait upon him and his power? Abram had already been declared righteous, so let's not make a mistake here that somehow God is saying that my covenant is dependent upon you being blameless, Abram. He's already been declared righteous in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was what? Reckoned to him as righteousness. This response of faith or walking in God, you have to see the order even in Genesis, and this is the order of the New Testament, as you get saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not by works, lest no one should boast. Walter Martin one time had to bang the pulpit three times. Not by works, not by works, not by works. We have to drive that into the souls of men and women because sometimes we say we believe it, but then I'm not sure we do. But we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. This is the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. That we might walk in those good works that God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Walk before me. But not to get saved. Because you already have the covenant promise. Because I've already declared you righteous. Because I've already said I've got a promise. Way beyond what you could ask or imagine. Trust me. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says, God shall also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Jude 24 says he's going to present us without fault in the presence of his glory, and we're going to rejoice in great ways. And yet still, we're to be a blameless church in a crooked and perverse generation. We're to shine as lights. And one of the ways that we walk blameless before God is in the verse just before that in Ephesians 2, or excuse me, Philippians 2.14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How do you like that one? How many of you put that on your refrigerator in the morning? We have shortened that verse. It's Philippians 2.14. We just call it P2.14. That lessens the pain a little bit. <laughs> and I mean... Think about the verse. Do how many things? All things without grumbling or complaining. Even when you play golf. Yes. Even when you're cleaning up after that child for the 156th time. He told them, just pick up your socks. Didn't pick up their socks. Do how many things? <laughs> Woo. One of the ways that we show who we are is the joy and the peace that we have. God says, this is the first of seven I will statements in verses one through eight. Genesis 17, two says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will, you might want to mark the I wills here. I will multiply you exceedingly. This is God. This is God doing the work, not a condition of the covenant. This is God's promise. And Abram did what was appropriate. He fell on his face, 99, you know, 99 years old. And he got down. He fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude. Mark that, a multitude of nations, because that is the definition of the name Abraham. 
So his name has been Abram. Some say, I think most scholars say it means exalted father, and some believe that it ties to the name of God, and that is he is the exalted father. But his name will be switched in Genesis 17. This is where the switch takes place. And he is changed from Abram to Abraham. And his name really is defined here. He is the father of a multitude of nations. Can you imagine? You go into the tent and you make a new announcement to the servants. Okay, everybody gather around. I have a new name. I'm changing my name. Some of the servants say, to what, Abram? You're already known as the exalted father. And you only have one kid, and that's through the second wife, Egyptian maid servant. My new name is the father <laughs> of a multitude of nations. Can you imagine some of the talk around the, the water cooler? Has the old man lost his mind? <laughs> He's 99. We don't even know how he had the child at 86. He's not, I think he's lost it. Did he take his vitamins today? I don't know. But he, he's going through a name change, man. Now he's the father of a multitude of nations. I don't know. I don't know. But he pays us. So, you know, he's signing the paycheck. So we're going to just pat him on the back. Say, hey, it's all right. Yeah. Okay, Abraham. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Look at verse 5. This is from God. But your name shall be Abraham. For here's another, I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. God makes the name change from Abram. Just look at the two names, Abram in verse five to Abraham. It's just an addition of two little letters. It's H-A in English, ha. So if you just highlighted the H-A in the middle of the name, you've got the additional letters. In Hebrew, I think it's just an H, but here it's a ha for us. And if you think of ha, and you kind of say it, ha, a few times. You could think of laughter in our culture, but the thought more is of breath. Ha. And I was reading James Montgomery Boyce this week, and he was talking about how in Hebrew and Greek, when you look at the idea of breath, the word for breath in Hebrew and Greek is the same as the word for spirit. And in Greek, it's pneuma. And in Hebrew, it's ruach. And some of these, these words, when you say them, you kind of have to say them in a breathy way. In fact, when you look at the name of God in the Old Testament, the Jews would not even write the vowels in there, so it was just Y-H-W-H, just the consonants, but then they tried to add the vowels, and you got yah and way, and you got a kind of a breathy sound to it. And the question here is, is there something deeper going on with this name change? We do know that his new name means a father of a multitude, but the question must be asked, how? He's 99, and she's pretty old too. She's about a decade behind him, but in the ancient Near Eastern world, one writer says, a name was not merely a convenient means of identification, but was intimately bound up with the very essence of being and inextricably intertwined with personality. And more, the Bible itself views name-giving as symbolizing the transformation of character and destiny. The Bible also presents name-giving as an exercise of sovereignty or lordship. God's renaming of Abram and Sarai, we'll see in a moment, was nothing less than a blessed reassertion of divine sovereignty over their lives. Abram's name meant exalted father. And referred not to the patriarch, but to God as his exalted father. But when Abram's name was changed to Abraham, 
It, for, it referred to the man himself as a father of a multitude, the literal Hebrew. The effect was that every time people called him Abraham, they reiterated God's promise that he would be the father of a multitude. How many times a day did that happen each day? That every time someone said, Abraham, we need you over here. Abraham, we've got a problem over here. Abraham, lunch is ready. They continued to reiterate that he would be the father of a multitude. They spoke, if you will, the promise. Do you know in Hebrew and Greek, when you look at the name of Jesus, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. And every time you say the name of Jesus, you are in essence saying the name salvation. That's Jesus's name. In fact, when Mary named him, she was calling him my salvation. That is his name. And names had great significance in, these, uh, in this cultural setting. And the name Jesus, of course, means Yahweh saves. And the line of Abram will lead us to Jesus Christ himself, the seed, if you will, of Abram. And God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will, notice the I wills again, I will make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. Indeed, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords will come from him. Matthew 1.1, write it down for your notes. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1 verse 1. So a thousand years after Abraham came David. David started a, uh, a, a line of kings, and that line of kings would lead to the greater David. A thousand years later, the greater David was born, and when he rode into Jerusalem, they were calling him Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Revelation 19, 16, king of kings and lord of lords. Could Abram... Abraham now have really known what this meant, that from his body would come the ultimate king. See, God has a plan. He's always working his plan, even when we can't see it, even when we've been waiting perhaps for decades. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Notice how long the covenant is. It's an everlasting covenant. And the covenant is to be God to you and to your descendants after you. The covenant with Abram, if you take that down and think about the line of Israel here, the covenant with Abram is an everlasting covenant. That means, how long is it going to last? Forever. So people who question whether or not God is still going to work in the literal nation of Israel, here you go. How long is the covenant? Everlasting. The covenant is, I will give to you and to your descendants, so I will be a God to you. And hear, O Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he is our God. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, very specific. And the land is an everlasting what? possession and I will be their God. The covenant is everlasting. The land is everlasting. And seven times God says, I will. And seven is the number of perfection. It is a done deal, baby. God is going to make good on his promises. And so he says, I'm going to give you the land, this battle over the land of Israel. The Bible is very clear. The land belongs to the people that flow from Abram. And I will make you the father of a multitude. I want to give you a little bit of James Montgomery Boyce on the name change. He says, when God changed his name 
to Abraham. He added an age to his name, or God really added, added the sound of breath, which is important in many ways. We spell Abraham with an additional ha, but those two letters are really just one breathy sound. In the ancient language, um, the words for breath and spirit were the same, as I mentioned. Thus, when God called Abram, Abraham, what he was really doing was adding his mighty breath or spirit to Abram's name, Yahweh. Perhaps the bigger point is that God was joining his name with Abram's. Well, welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz sitting here with Pastor Michael Lance, and you just heard a segment on Genesis chapter 17. Now, Pastor Michael, here we have a whole bunch of things that we can go over. One of the things is that we see two name changes, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. And the other thing is, too, we see a change in the exterior part of a body. What can we take away from this? How can we apply this chapter to us? Well, the sign of circumcision is the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and it is, you know, it is a external fleshly sign, but it's something that's pointing to something deeper. There's no way not to be graphic on this. Mm-hmm. There, it's a cutting away of the flesh or a portion of the flesh, and it has a covenant sign to it. And so if you continue to monitor or just kind of do some in-depth search on circumcision. Mm-hmm. You find that uh, oftentimes in the Bible, God says, look, circumcise your heart. Well, so we know that there's something going on, Oscar, that it's not just simply a fleshly sign. For example, we believe that the New Testament equivalent to Old Testament circumcision is baptism because baptism is a sign of the covenant and it's a sign of the new covenant. And when you get baptized, you're making a public display of being in the new covenant. And Mm -hmm. it's so closely related to a commitment to Christ that on the day of Pentecost, we had people baptized in the name of Jesus. Uh, You know, we see people all throughout the book of Acts. It's almost as if the moment they receive Christ, they go into the waters of baptism as a sign and seal of that covenant. So the, the idea of circumcision moves from a fleshly sign in the Old Testament here in Genesis 17 to an equivalent sign in the New Testament of uh, baptism. And here's the deal, Oscar. If if I dunk somebody in water a hundred times, what really matters, what makes that significant is whether or not they have had a circumcision or I can put it this way, a baptism of the heart. So the outward sign is beautiful, just like a lot of things in the faith. We could talk about the Lord's Supper. We, we believe we have beautiful symbols, commemoration. The Lord, we could even say, specially blesses those times. However, they become significant if something's happened on the inside. So the outward covenant, the cutting of the way away of the flesh, has the idea of I'm going to cut away that part of my life that is doing it my way, dependent on my own efforts. I'm going to trust the God who's made all these promises to me. And I think that's part of the significance. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.